Welcome to Total Convexity, a weekly financial podcast that caters to professional finance individuals, high net worth investors, family offices, and other sophisticated financial professionals. Join our hosts, hedge fund manager Jim Wang and Henrik Neohaus, as they explore the interconnected world of global macroeconomics, central banks, and capital markets. Comprehending the intricate web of global macroeconomics, central bank policies, and capital markets isn't just an option, it's a necessity. Whether you're a chief investment officer, financial analyst, entrepreneur, or simply someone curious about how the global economy and capital markets function, this podcast serves as your compass through the intricacies of the global financial landscape. In each episode, we will delve deep into the influential factors shaping our world, from global economic trends and central bank policies to capital markets and trading strategies. We will demystify financial jargon, clarify complex numerical data, and provide you with insights from experts in the field. Complexity episode five is being recorded on the 27th of October, 2023. I'm your host, Henrik Neuhaus. Joining me is my co-host, Jim Wang. I'm glad to return with the fifth episode of our podcast series. In the first episode, we discussed our investment and analytical framework, and we recommend your listeners to review the first episode as the explanation of our framework lays the foundation for the subsequent episodes. In the past few weeks, the topics for our podcasts have been interest rates, the US dollar cycle, and last week, gold. Jim, what would you like to discuss this week? Uh, Yeah, sure. So, um, hello, everyone. I'm very glad to return to the new episode. So, given the recent headlines of large fiscal deficit, and, uh, you know, we all talk about the potential government shutdown in November yet again. Uh, and also the you know the Fed fast, fastest monetary tightening in the past four decades. Uh, maybe it's a good time for us to discuss the joint effects of fiscal and the monetary policy, because I think they are the really drivers for the economy and also the capital market. What do you think? I think that's a great idea. Um, in our first episode, you had mentioned the interactions of fiscal and monetary policies and the joint effects on the economy of and, and, and their joint effects on the economy of financial assets. Uh, could you please refresh our memory a little bit how the framework works? Uh, yeah, definitely. So in uh, one of our framework is basically we look at the monetary policies and the fiscal policies, and uh, we, look, we look at the joint effects that they have on the market and also on the real economy. So a lot of our indicators you and I build together uh, are following these two uh, main drivers, right? As we mentioned, the real drivers for the long-term economy, you know, economy is really the productivities and the population growth. Um, but from cyclical perspective, the mark and uh, the 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 the, uh, the economy and the capital market are really driven by the monetary policy and the fiscal policy. So I have this basically two by two uh, quadrant. Uh, for the monetary policy and the fiscal policy. Uh, in the quadrant one, is basically tightening monetary policy, but the easing fiscal policy. So when you have a monetary policy tightening and uh, uh, fiscal policy, um, when you, uh, physical policy easing, and during that time, uh, you know, economy tends to outperform the financial market and the bonds will sell out, curve will flatten, uh, inflation will rise, but because you have a tightened monetary policy, it will be under control. Uh, currency typically is strong. Now, the price of a risk asset is uh, is hard to tell. It will depending on which force is stronger. So if you have a very strong monetary policy, typically the valuation will come down. But if you have a very strong fiscal policy, you know the revenue uh, of the firm may continue to grow. The bottom line may continue to grow. Um, so it's really between the balance of these two. So therefore, the sector and the security selection are very important. And typically, those 
that are longer durations um, uh, asset typically will underperform, and those are shorter du the durations and the benefit uh, from the uh, economic growth will tend to benefit from uh, from that. So that's the in the first quadrant. In the second quadrant, it's basically the easing monetary policy and the easing fiscal policy. During that time period, both economy and the financial market will perform well. Uh, nearly all the financial assets will rally. You literally can buy anything. Everything will rally. Uh, and during that time, during that time, cash uh, is trash. You do not want to sit in cash. And uh, generally speaking, financial market will outperform economy. Uh, it was during that time inflation will rise, currency will depreciate, curve will steepen, and the long daily treasury will underperform during that time period. Uh, um, they can still perform okay, right? But they will just underperform. Now, during the third uh, money, third regime is monetary easing while fiscal policy tightening, okay? So basically, you have easy monetary policy and you have a tightening physical policy. During a time period, financial asset will outperform economy. Long, long, long duration asset will outperform. So growth stocks, long duration bond will perform very well. Currency will weaken. Inflation risk really depending on net balance between these two, you know, physical policy and monetary policy. So if you have very easy physical policy and the money, you know, if you have very easy monetary policy, but the physical policy only tightening a little bit, you may have some inflation risk. But generally speaking, inflation is muted during this time, during this regime. And the, the final regime is really the um, is quadrant four, where is both the monetary policy and the fiscal policy are tightening. So during this time period, both economy and the financial asset will perform poorly. Dollar will, US dollar will re remain strong. And typically during this time period, cash and a short-ended treasury, short-ended race will be the best performer. And obviously we laid out this in the um, simplistic form and the asset prices of when they're gonna perform, when is a turning point and the, the you know, um, and uh, they may not, they may not exactly happen in the, you know, let's say, you know, stock may not rally exactly at time Fed or Fed start ease or monetary, you know, physical restart to response. They typically come with a lag. So, and there is a transition time period from one quadrant to the other. So I would say there is a lot of nuances behind this grid, but this is basically our guiding post in terms of our take on the physical and monetary policy and then generate their impact on the economy. Okay, so now looking at 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 the grid, um, the way you have laid out the grid with the four possible states and macro states, it appears to me that monetary policies have more impact on financial asset prices, while fiscal policies have more influence on growth and inflation. Uh, am I right about this, or? Or, or not. So could you talk about that a bit? Yeah, that's a that's a very good observation. I would say uh, it's partially right. And uh, there's also a lot of nuances behind this. So first of all, when we talk about why this is the case, why during this quadrant asset perform will, will perform in, in this way, and the growth and the inflation will respond in, in, you know, from that perspective. So I think first thing that we want to understand here is what what is monetary policy? What is what are they trying to do? So the monetary policy typically the uh, the, the 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 instrument is basically the interest in, you know the uh, the interest rate, right? So when you lower the interest rate, you basically increase lower the discount rate of all the financial of all the future cash flow. Therefore, you increase the net present value, right? And from that perspective, is an instant boost to basically all the financial asset. And it is right. The financial asset will readjust, will revalue very quickly on that. And therefore there is an outsized impact on the financial asset. Secondly, you know, once the interest goes to zero, Fed conduct the QE time period. And that is also very positive for the financial asset. That's because when the Fed was doing QE, and the Fed is basically the lender of the last resort, but they are not spender of the last resort. Fed does not create money that you and I can go out and buy things. But the Fed rather uh, through QE, they basically increase 
on the uh, the bank's reserve balance, bank's reserve, and uh, at the same time they take off the long duration uh, treasury, uh, and that's a net liquidity injection into the into the financial market. So in last episode we talk about the liquidity lift our boat. So when Fed Fed the Fed ways to inject liquidity into the market is basically through buying treasury, and when they buy the treasury. There is a net liquidity injection into the whole financial asset. When the treasury yield is lower, all the other financial assets will be will be evaluated against that. And uh, depending on the economic situations, and the financial asset generally will will generally will benefit the entire financial asset will benefit. Uh, the distribution between different asset classes obviously will be, will will depend on the relative valuation. And uh, their expectation versus the, you know future economic growth, as we explained in our last episode. So therefore, the the the, the financial the, therefore the the monetary policy will have direct impact of the financial market. As a matter of fact, the Fed conduct monetary policy to influence the real economy through this channel, through this this channel, so called the wealth effect, and because. When people feel wealthy with the financial asset, they tend to spend more. At the same time, the money also, uh, you know, so so that will also result in the in the increase of economic activities. So, secondly, let's talk about you know how the money is created for the things for us to spend on the goods and the services. Okay, so for people to spend goods and the services, obviously, you you know, in in the long run, is real real uh, income uh, growth, right? Um, but for, for from the from the from our physical and the monetary policy perspective, the money is basically created by two things. One is you know is is the is the credit expansion, right? Uh, and the secondly is um, is the uh, this is the fiscal uh, spending. Okay. So when the Fed lower the interest rate, and uh, you know that is getting cheap to borrow, and people will start to leverage to lever up. When you lever up, that's basically create money. So when the bank create, when bank uh, give a loan, uh, you just create money, right? When you go out and have a mortgage, your basically money was created. Uh, and um, now the government can create money simply by um, by through the government spending, or they handed out money to you for you to spend, uh, and that will create direct, that will literally just create new money, right? And therefore, they will have a direct impact on consumption and growth. Okay, so so when you look at this grid, when you look at this grid, there is underlying economic forces and uh, and the logic behind that. What do you think, Eric? Yes. Well, okay. Now, obviously, what I want to know is in which regime are we right now? But equally important is. How did we get to where we are now? What was the path? So perhaps you could talk us through the historic regimes that the U.S. economy has gone through, Jim. Um, yeah, definitely, I agree. Uh, to know the to know the future, we need to know the present time. To know the present time, we need to know the history, right? So I have here one chart here. Basically, is the U.S. budget deficit uh, on the top and the Fed fund rate. Uh, at the bottom, okay? And uh, let's just start in the post Volcker time period. And uh, as you can see here, um, and uh, you know, you can see here, typically when the Fed fund rate, you know, was lowered, that was because during the recession time period. Um, and uh, uh, Fed fund rate increased, um, that is during the economic expansionary uh, time period, okay? And as you can see in a budget deficit, and uh, and also the uh, you know the physical you know the budget deficit can be a proxy uh, of the physical stimulus. Obviously, you know the budget deficit is basically revenue minus uh, the uh, the the spending, right? So the budget deficit can can increase during the recession time period by both falling revenues and uh, increasing spending. Okay, and typically during the good time, uh, revenue increase. And a spending decrease, uh, and uh, and then you have improved budget that improved the budget. So therefore, post Volcker time period, um, this basically the fiscal spending and the monetary policy basically they work in tandem. In other words, they both tighten together and they both ease together. 
all right? And they both ease when there is economic recession, and they both tighten when uh, when there is uh, when there is economic expansion and inflation become a problem. Okay. Now, notably, after GFC, something happened, right? And uh, that uh, that we cut interest rate uh, to zero, uh, and uh, then uh, we started the QE, right? So monetary policy, I would say, continue to be to continue to be very ease after uh, after the uh, after GFC. So we have easing monetary policy, right? But uh, um, the fiscal policy, uh, well, basically tightening. We have increased, um, you know, the budget. Uh, deficit has increased a significant, have improved significantly uh, post the GFC, right? Uh, and, uh, you know, as you remember, there's a Tea Party discussions, you know, uh, during that time period, uh, you know, during the Obama you know, administration, right? There's a lot of protest. So there is kind of a physical austerity, you know, per se. And uh, although we still have a QE. So, so, and then we have basically the Trump era, right? Um, and that's really the time things start to diverge. So when the Trump came to power, right, we had uh, Trump physical policy. Obviously, you know, um, the Trump era, the physical policy is not through government spending, but rather through tax cut. So if you look at this graph, right, before the pandemic, right, during the during the Trump time period, before pandemic, right, we have employment, unemployment rate reached the record low. Right was what well, was record low, and uh, but our uh, you know budget deficit was getting worse. At the same time, during that time period, um, in the Trump uh, you know administration, Fed was rising was raising interest interest rate. So we during the Trump era we had basically rising. Uh, we have tightening monetary policy and we have easing uh, you know uh, fiscal policy until pandemic hit. When the pandemic, I would say, you know, before pandemic hit, there was a slight changes. Fed have a pivot, right? So we have still easing monetary policy and the Fed start, uh, still have a, you know, easing, uh, you know, easing, uh, you know, physical policy, but Fed start to, to change their, 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 their uh, monetary policy. Um, but not for long, right? Then we have a pandemic here. And then during the pandemic time period, we all know what happens, right? So basically, uh, you know, we basically um, spend as as, uh, uh, as much as we can, and the uh, Fed basically underwrite underwrote the whole thing and uh, monetize, you know, everything. So, um, and uh, then uh, after pandemic, right? And uh, then Fed start to tighten the monetary policy again, and uh, you know we can talk about the most recent history. But the thing that we want to point out here is that um, you know during uh, in 2020, uh, when the world was still in deflation, I was, I remember in Q3 and Q4, uh, there was a deflation fear, right? And uh, people still, you know, the uh, people still worry about the Great Depression and uh, inflation was, you know, interest was at the bottom and the inflation was uh, was very low. Um, but at the same time, you can Fed was printing money like a man and the government was spending money like a man, right? Uh, and it was during that time period that we basically pointed out uh, that we are, we, we are likely going to have a very highly inflationary time period, probably comparable into 1970s. And the reason that we pointed out that out here is that we noticed that uh, before this pandemic time period, we have 10 years, a decade of very low uh, inflation. Uh, and um, I think with the Fed stock QE, a lot of people worry about inflation uh, and uh, that actually prevent, you know, the um, prevent that from happening because the physical um, you know, policy was really tight. Uh, by the way, that's not only in the U.S. but also all over the world, and uh, we can talk about that once we, uh, once we talk about the rest of the world as well. And uh, the comparable is in the 1960s that we have a decade of low interest rate, and uh, and because of that, basically people think inflation was dead, right? So in the 1960s, I think inflation time period was similar to what we had, um, you know, post the GFC. Um, and then Lyndon Johnson come out with the Great Society in 1965, right? That's the time that the uh, U.S. basically started to develop social welfare, right? And then after that, you have a Vietnam War, uh, and uh, and we all know 
uh, Fed was uh, was very uh, was very was basically a complicit, uh, you know, during a time for the government spend government spending. I would say that laid the foundation for highly inflationary time period in 1970s. Obviously, there will be many other forces, but uh, from our perspective, you know, the logic is very simple. When you we are talking about physical policy, will create money immediately. Okay, will create money. Uh, basically spending power and goods and services, you know, immediately. So when you create money on goods and services immediately, and then there is, in, in there, basically there is an instant demand. And if your production is not keep up, I mean, you certainly for sure is going to have inflation. That's almost a given, right? Um, and uh, so, so I think, you know, um, you know, that that's basically the, um, the, 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 the time period that, uh, that came upon us. And uh, uh, I think a lot of people were very surprised uh, about the inflation spike. Um, and uh, obviously, you know, the, uh, the, the, supply, chain, the supply chain shock and uh, the energy things and the war in Ukraine and all this, um, you know, uh, exacerbate on the problem, but they are not the root cause of the problem. Uh, the root cause of the problem is basically monetary inflation, which we pointed out uh, during that time. Um, uh, similar in 1970s, and people were blaming the oil shock for the uh, for the inflation. Again, uh, we will say that's not the root cause. That is, that exacerbates the problem. Because the, the, the oil shock um, and all this, it is come from supply side, okay? If it is not from the demand side, it's come from the supply side, it's not gonna last because it's actually served as a tightening effect. Eventually, that actually can be deflationary because that will result in the consumption, um, you know, the, the, the pullback of a consumption in all the other uh, areas. So um, that basically will take us to, you know, walk us very quickly, you know, for the past, um, I would say for decades right now. Uh, and uh, where do you want to go from here? Right. I mean, it's interesting this this comparison between what how how the how, how the Fed and the uh, government acted during the during the pandemic and the 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 Nixon years during the Vietnam War when when you know he had a uh, the war was not very popular and he definitely didn't want to raise taxes to finance it. Wars are wars are expensive, so they ended up printing money instead. So there are some similarities there. Anyway, so. This takes us to the present time. So, which regime are we in right now, and uh, where are we heading? Do you think? Uh, yeah. So we just walked through the, the the history, and then that will take us to the present time. And uh, so, post pandemic, inflation came, and everyone was very surprised, and especially caught Fed by surprise, right? By the way, uh, during that time, you probably know about this. We say. I mean, in the 2020, when I lay off the inflation time period, and people will say, oh, Fed can hike the interest rate and kill it instantly. And I will say the most, the most, um, the word that you hear most from the Fed will be transitory. Uh, it's hilarious, actually. I, you know, we predict that, <laughs> that thing. And uh, you just repeatedly heard them, you know, hear them talk about transitory. And here is not a transitory anymore. So we basically had the fastest you know, tightening uh, of a monetary policy um, in the past four decades, right? As you know, Fed was basically hiking uh, interest rate in a rapid pace. Um, but at the same time, uh, the, the fiscal policy um, and continue to uh, to be very strong. Um, and uh, as Biden, you know, so-called Biden, uh, Bidenomics, right? Uh, you know, he, he pushed through a lot of the, uh, a lot of the, you know, kind of a spending bill. Uh, such as the uh, you know uh, Chip Act and uh, Inflation Reduction Act and maybe it's the Inflation Acceleration Act uh, and also green um, in a green bill and etc. Right. So so that's the regime that we have been we were in uh, and that it was basically tightened uh, monetary um, basically tightened uh, monetary policy but the fiscal policy continued to be strong. And that's why we had pretty strong economy. I mean, nominal economy, you know, significantly outperform on the financial asset. And the financial asset basically didn't perform well. Uh, if you add a bond, if you just put a bond and uh, you know, equity and, uh, and everything together, 
uh, all of them, you know, have declined. Okay, and uh, with the bond uh, being the worst performer, uh, and uh, uh, the equity has declined as well, but mainly through the PE uh, ratio adjustment. So this is a very, you know, this is a this is a classic in the grid that we uh, we illustrated. By the way, you know, from the high side, you know, judging this is actually very very difficult. We were actually wrong-footed um, by uh, the uh, the amount of physical stimulus last year. Okay, although we correctly, in, you know, pointed out, uh, you know, the uh, the physical you know, the, the the monetary tightening effect. Um, but in any case, uh, if you look at the grid. That we have here, um, this is exactly followed at a print. Basically, economy outperformed the financial market. Financial market didn't perform very well, and uh, and there is a joint kind of a sector dispersion between them. And if you look at it, the best performer is basically the energy sector. Uh, and uh, so, so I so I I would say that's the time period we have been in. Um, you know, right now, um, predicting the future is always very difficult, but uh, that's our job. Um, and uh, we think the monetary policy will continue to be very tight because remember they want to be tighter, higher for longer, right? I do think we probably uh, already have the last, you know, interest rate uh, hike. I think we probably are done. Uh, and uh, but if inflation is falling, and even with nominal interest rate at this current time, real interest rate will start to rise, and that will continue to create a tightening effect. Especially if inflation come back, if asset price, uh, stock price continue to be very elevated, um, and uh, certainly if inflation reaccelerate, and I do think that the Fed will not hesitate to tighten monetary policy again. So from that perspective, I would say monetary policy continue to be tight and tighten, and and uh, the direction is you know is 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 tightening further. Now from the fiscal uh, policy perspective. I would say most of the spending bills are behind us, and I know some of them are long-term, but uh, from change of the fiscal policy perspective, it's basically what we need uh, and uh, to be neutral at the best. Uh, obviously, this can change, right? So we have a war here, um, you know, you, you, you know, um, first in Ukraine and now in Middle East, and who knows what's going to happen uh, next, right? And, uh, and I... You know, I, I think the physical response is much faster than before. Uh, we basically, you know, we basically have uh, basically have a physical spending to deal with all the problems, right? And even inflation problem. If inflation problem is too much spending, but even inflation problem, they will spend more to to deal with the inflation, right? So, so I would say, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, um, it's you know we we obviously are open minded to the coming fiscal uh, kind of the policy changes, but I I would say this is a great uncertainty, uh, one of the big risk for us to handicap which regime we are in right now and are likely to head into. Um, but I think based on the current assessment, we think we are going to head into the um, the uh, the next regime is basically uh, we will have the uh, higher. Let's go back to the. Um, uh, show this grid uh, from um, we're transitioning into basically regime one into regime four, and uh, you know from tightening a monetary policy of easing uh, tightening monetary policy easing fiscal policy right into regime four, which basically both of them are tightening, or basically physical engine you know neutral at the best. So during this time period, you know economy will perform poorly. I think that's probably the the, the, the environment we're going to head into. Um, US dollar will become strong. And the cash and the short in the treasury are the best performer, which have been, uh, which which we probably will will be. Um, and then gradually that um, we and that will take our present time, right? And then gradually I think we will head into um, you know we will we'll head into recession growth will fall further until we have um, we will have uh, we have a recession. Uh, and uh, you know during that time period, um, I think the stock will perform very poorly. Uh, inflationary asset probably will not perform well. And uh, at the same time, um, the the bond anticipating the Fed easing, right? Uh, and uh, uh, in the bond um, the Treasury uh, will become the U.S. rates will become um, the best performer uh, during the uh, disinflationary recession uh, period.
right? And after that happens, right? Once the asset price has fallen a lot, and uh, you know inflation comes down, unemployment goes higher, stock market drops significantly, and uh, I think Fed will cut interest rate, uh, and uh, and uh, and obviously fiscal uh, response will come out, uh, and uh, and uh, then. Um, uh, and then I, I think that then we will transition into the regime uh, too, basically easing monetary policy, easing fiscal policy. And uh, during that time, you know, after, you know, during that time, you can buy stock again. It will probably rally, especially inflationary asset. I think after the next cycle, I think inflation side, you know, inflationary asset will perform very well um, upon next cycle. Okay, uh, upon next inflation uh, cycle, I think current inflation cycle is over. Okay. Um, and uh, then the um, the currency will depreciate again, uh, and uh, then we will have a repeat of a post-pandemic time period, uh, probably more violent. And then I will explain a little bit why. Um, and uh, the reason for that is because the current time period, we are not, you know, we have a resemblance of, our inflation have a resemblance of 1970s, right? So we have an inflation. But the problem is during the 1970s, our debt level was very low. So if you look at the um, if you look at the debt level here, um, this is a U.S. debt to GDP ratio. And we look at 1970s, right? Uh, the debt level in the United States is below 40 percent, and now it is above 100 percent. So therefore, and the whole system of leverage is completely different as well, um, and that's why. Uh, Volcker was able to raise the Fed fund rate to 20, 21%, right? Uh, and um, and that obviously result in the recession uh, and the decline of the uh, of the asset prices. And uh, with the current leverage that we have, and it's very difficult for us to raise the interest rate uh, significantly higher. Something will be broke will will be broken, uh, way uh, you know a lot easier you know a lot you know a lot sooner uh, than that, and. Um, and uh, and then, and then you know in the in the nineteen um, and, the, and at the same time we have the budget you know spending at the historically lower level right so we have inflation that is comparable in nineteen seventies right but we have a debt level is comparable to the nineteen uh, forties right and that is during the wartime right and uh, remember during the wartime that uh, you know from nineteen forty two to nineteen fifty one. Um, basically, we had the yield curve control. So um, the Treasury uh, bill was basically packed to three eighths percent, and the ten year is basically packed uh, below two and a half percent. Okay, so that is almost a decade of yield curve control. So what I'm trying to say here is that we will have yield curve control, and QE will come back upon next downturn. Okay. And uh, it's, it's, um, it's, it's, a, it's, it's not a question of if, but it's a question of when. Um, and uh, I, but of course, you know, navigating, going through that is very important, right? So the, the, the re, you know, in order to understand that, I think we need to understand the reaction function of the physical, we need to understand the reaction function of the physical authority and the monetary authority. So just remember, they are not doing what is right, what you think is right, okay, and or what they think is right. Um, nor are they doing what for the long-term benefit of what is right. Um, by the way, that is also subject debate. Different people have different opinions. But basically, the physical part, the monetary policy, the monetary response is basically to deal with the immediate pain, because they have a due mandate, which is basically inflation and growth. So if growth become a problem, unemployment become a problem, recession is a problem, then they will have to ease. There is no other choice, regardless of what you think, what is right or wrong for the long run. And uh, if the inflation is a problem, okay, they will deal with inflation. That's the pain. Regardless of what you think, the action you take is detrimental, whatever, right? It's subject to debate, but kill that pain or the pain will kill you. Okay, so that's the central bank reaction function. Now, the fiscal reaction function is also very simple. Politicians want to win the vote. Okay, so so basically they want to spend money 
and they do not want the others to spend money. Basically, I can spend money, but not you. Okay, so they all want to spend money. Politicians, they all want to spend money. And also another difference is that Republicans want to collect less money from the people who vote for them. Republicans, the Democrats want to spend more money for the people who vote for them. All right. And during the good time, right, and uh, they still want to spend. But they at least have a check and balance. I can spend, but you cannot spend. So during the good time, you know, the, the, the urge to spend is less. And uh, during the good time, during the bad time, you cannot even see you cannot spend. They will tell you so bad and uh, you are a better person if you don't allow this to pass. So they basically say, okay, you can spend, I can spend too. So everyone spend. Okay. And that is unavoidable when you have a downturn. So I heard a lot of people saying, you know, further learn the lesson, they will not do the QEs. Further learn lesson, they will not cut the interest rate back to so low again. Um, I know they do not want to. Nobody wants to do that. But if you lower the interest rate all the way down to 3%, 2%, still things doesn't work, you probably want to lower more. And if there, if if if, uh, if that lower a lot still doesn't work, you probably want to do more. And then what can you do? You have to do QE or yield curve control again, okay? Or similar or different nickname, right? So I think that is unavoidable. You can also hear fiscal horse basically saying that we cannot spend this, otherwise we are on the way of no return. But when the recession hit, you will spend it, okay? There's just no choice. And even with the economy you know, situation so good, we can still not basically rein, in, rein the, the spending. But as I say, forecast the destination is no use, the destiny. The mo most important thing is to navigate through the sequence. The sequence here is this, is that Fed will tighten the monetary policy until something breaks, when we have a recession, and then they will start, and then I think we will have a physical response, and we will have a monetary response, and that will lay an inflationary time period, probably worse than that we have seen in the past two years. Um, and uh, so that's that's kind of what you know what what, what we what we see here, um, and looking ahead. Right. Well, that's a lot. Um, so. Now, this framework that we have is 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 a general framework. It, it's not specific to the U.S. So, um, if you applied it to Europe, well, what would it look like? Um, yeah, definitely. So, uh, so here I put the same chart here. EU, um, basically, this is European budget um, and the white line on the top and the ECB policy uh, rate at the bottom. And like I said, they typically work in tandem. Uh, if you can see here in the, you know, 2020, you know, 2023 to 2028, 27, uh, we basically have our 2027, we have a rising uh, kind of interest rate in Europe and the, the budget situation was improving uh, in Europe as well. And then during the pandemic, we have, uh, you know, enlarged the physical you know, deficit. And then we have, uh, you know, kind of easing, uh, you, know, you know, kind of a, a falling interest rate. Then something after Jeff say something happened. If you look at the blue line here, right, we have basically interest rate close to the bottom, but keep falling to the negative area. And then we have, uh, you know, ECB started QE, right? Basically, you know, pushing, uh, easing the monetary policy much further. Um, but during that time, we have austerity in Europe, right? And the European, you know, we know there is a, you know, debt price, European debt crisis, um, uh, post, you know, uh, after uh, after the GFCs, uh, and uh, the periphery will spend, but then the German will, you know, the, the core countries will not allow it. That's because we think they are uh, kind of they are uh, in the framework. They have a monetary union, but they do not have a fiscal union, right? So so it's very difficult for them to have a fiscal stimulus uh, uh, across. Um, you know, the countries within the setup they have. Um, and then, but this changes dramatically uh, during the pandemic time period, right? Um, and uh, I would say we, you know, what uh, what saved Europe last year, uh, you know, October is because of a high, because of the Russian war that result in the high energy cost. Uh, and, uh, and the Europe basically push out uh, you know, kind of physical uh, stimulus again, basically by handing off the money to the people uh, to support 
um, the the uh, uh, the, uh, the 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 you know to help them to deal with a high energy cost. So that was so that was supporting the European strong rebound since October last year. Um, and um, and uh, physical physical responding is basically very quick. Uh, it comes and goes, you know. And uh, when it's gone, it's gone. Okay, they are, they do not have a sustained effect because they do not result into the long term improve of productivity. Therefore, they are basically a short term impulse, and we think that the impulse is over. Okay, in 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 in, in Europe. So you have a continual tightening monetary policies and. Uh, then you have a physical policies and uh, it's uh, kind of tightening, um, uh, similar like in the United States. Um, and looking forward, I would say uh, because of the war um, in Ukraine and also because of the green uh, kind of the you know green energy initiative in Europe and the urgency to uh, create inf you know inflation infrastructure. And I would say upon. Uh, I would say I can I can foresee the physical spending in Europe to increase as well, and uh, the, uh, um, and uh, um, so I can foresee the physical uh, spending in Europe to increase in the future. All right. Um, now, if we move into Japan, um, you know, I would say you know, like 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 we mentioned, it's a. Uh, they also typically follow the market cycle. They, you know, both tighten and easing at the, at the same time, and this also change uh, during the after GFC. Uh, and uh, you know, Japan, you know, basically aggressively ease, uh, and uh, um, and and they they started QE right, and they were doing the uh, they are basically probably the worst offender of the QEs. But if you can see from the GF, you know, from 2009 and all the way to 2019 and 20, um, you know, Japan's budget uh, has increased significantly until it blew up again, like any other countries during the uh, pandemic time period. And the Japanese asset has been performing very well, uh, and uh, you know, at the expense of currency, obviously, um, and that's because it's the only countries where. You know they were still, um, you know, running very easy monetary policy. They were still doing the record QE, um, and, you know, uh, you know as well. Um, and um, and I can also see that the, the physical attitude is changing as well because of the defense. Um, you know, kind of they increase the defense spending uh, as well. Um, and uh, because of the debt GDP level in Japan is at such a high level. Um, and Japan is probably will on the permanent path of yield curve control. They cannot relent. Uh, I also think that they probably now a lot of people bet that Japan will you know may uh, you know increase or re, you know basically tighten monetary policy or relinquish the yield curve control or maybe you you know or you know I think that is just not possible. Okay, because of that to GDP level they have. Um, I, I'll even think that they passed the best windows to basically raise the interest rate. Um, and uh, when the Fed was aggressively raising interest rate, I think that's the window of opportunity for Japan to join uh, to join that. And I think the Japan's best hope here is the recession comes in and the Fed has to lower the interest rate and that will give them a relief uh, on the uh, on, on, on the currency. So I would say Japan is on the permanent path of the monetization. Well, there will be no way back. And uh, uh, we will just wait until next recession where their spending will increase and the monetizing, monetization will increase as well. Um, finally is, uh, is China. Uh, and uh, as you can see here, uh, the blue line is the you know China, China's budget uh, deficit on the top, and uh, then is the one-year uh, Chinese you know government bond yield uh, at a, at the bottom. Um, the noted notably, uh, fact you know China was in a great physical uh, situation uh, right in the right before the financial crisis. And uh, the monetary, you know, China had four percent interest rate before that, and uh, that quickly changed. Uh, and China is the country who always resort into, uh, you know, fiscal spending to stimulate uh, economy. As you know, China was the growth engine 
after financial crisis as they uh, launched the huge physical stimulus after the prime crisis. And after that, physical stimulus has kept spending and that is basically dri driven by the um, uh, the fixed asset and the real estate and the infrastructure uh, and et cetera. Um, and uh, most recently, um, as you can see here, that uh, the, the you know the the you know the, the Chinese authorities have been lower the interest rate gradually, uh, and uh, at the same time they just announced um, you know one trillion uh, Chinese Chinese yuan uh, you know uh, government spending um, you know uh, for the next one year, and uh, that will that basically so you are going to have uh, so. Probably, if you look at a major economy in the world, China is the only country basically have an easing monetary policy and an easing fiscal policy. And according to our framework, in this case, you will see the financial asset to rally and the real economy to pick up. I know everyone is very bearish on China structurally, and uh, we are also very bearish on China structurally. Uh, and we have been bearish on China for a long period of time from structural perspective. And, uh, you know, uh, we can get into that in the future about what are the secular forces uh, on that. But from cyclical perspective, um, I think there is a chance that uh, for Chinese uh, economy to recover and even Chinese asset to do well, uh, while everyone is very bearish um, towards the country at the time, at this time. So I just walked through the whole world uh, using our framework uh, very quickly. Uh, and I hopefully give you a... Um, um, kind of an overview of uh, what we, uh, you know, how we use this framework and what we think around the world. Wow, great. Thank you, Jim. So we're now at the end of our fifth episode. So let me try and summarize. We have this high level taxonomy describing the four possible states of tightening and easing fiscal and monetary policies. Yes. Now, at the it appears to be simplistic, this framework, but macroeconomics is a messy business and we do need a rational way to classify typical states of the economy. We then map how the economy and the markets tend to develop in each of the four states. Identifying which states we're in now and where we might be moving next is very useful for getting a sense for how different market segments could be reacting as we move forward. The question now is, where are we? Jim, you made the case that you believe that we are already transitioning from quadrant one to quadrant four, where monetary policy stays tight, but fiscal policies are waning. And that this ultimately will result, will result in a disinflationary recession. As asset prices fall and unemployment rises, you believe that the Fed will ultimately cut interest rates and there will be new rounds of fiscal stimuli. Because of the high debt level, you also believe that QE or some form of yield control will ultimately materialize, which in turn will lead us out of quadrant four into quadrant two. For the markets, cash and short rates are the best, in best investment choices right now. And risk assets will likely suffer significant drawdowns as we move into this recession in quadrant four. Then, as we transition from quadrant four to quadrant two, during this transition, bonds should be performing quite well. But once we are in quadrant two, equity and especially inflationary assets will start out performing again and bonds will perform poorly in this new, started inflationary cycle. Now, anything is possible and uh, difficult to predict events happen every once in a while. But at least this framework gives us some logical guidance as to what to expect and how to react. More importantly, we can always adjust our outlook based on new developments of or in fiscal and monetary policies. That's the summary. Yeah, uh, Henrik, that's a very good summary. You summarize better than I do. Uh, and uh, why don't you tell us where listeners can follow us? Absolutely. You can follow us by searching for Total Convexity in your favorite podcast app or via YouTube. 
Please don't forget to click on the subscription button so that you will be automatically notified when a new episode is available. You can also follow us on X, old Twitter, where we have the handle at Total Convexity. And you can email us at totalconvexity at gmail.com. Finally, you can follow our insights on Substack at totalconvexity.substack.com. We promise never to spam you or try and sell you anything or channel advertising your way. All you'll get is our honest take on the markets, rightly or wrongly, and we'll try and make it short and sweet. At least we try to. Anything else, Jim? Uh, that's it. Thank you, everyone. If you like this podcast, we would appreciate it if you can pass along to anyone who might be interested. This concludes the, the fifth episode of our podcast, Total Convexity. See you next time. Disclaimer, the information provided in this podcast is for general informational purposes only and should not be considered as financial advice. Consult with a qualified financial professional before making any financial decisions. All investments involve risks. There are no guarantees of profits and investments may incur losses. The contents discussed in this podcast is not a recommendation for any specific investment. Past performance does not predict future results. The opinions expressed by guests on this podcast are their own and may not necessarily reflect the views of the hosts or affiliated parties. The podcast host and guests may have financial interests in companies or products discussed, and listeners should be aware that the opinions expressed by guests and their hosts may reflect biases. We strive for accuracy, but financial information can change rapidly. The content may not always be up to date or complete, so verify information independently. This podcast does not offer legal or regulatory advice, and listeners are responsible for ensuring that their financial decisions comply with applicable laws and regulations. Mentions of specific financial products or services do not constitute endorsements. Perform your due diligence before engaging with any financial offering. Listeners are fully responsible for their financial decisions, and the podcast's guests, hosts, and affiliated entities are not liable for any financial losses resulting from actions taken on based on the provided contents.